Journal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Berg. We are deep in the heart of basketball season. The basketball team just completed a stretch of three games in six days while also battling a bout of the flu, and they did so in undefeated 3-0 and fashion. It was uh, a nice bounce back after the loss at ECU, although two of those games went to overtime, one at Tulsa, one at UConn, and the battle with South Florida on Tuesday night was pretty much down to the wire as well. However, good resiliency from this team, and uh, they got those three wins out of the way. They finished that first five-game stretch that we talked about in AAC play at 4-1. and one. Up next for the Bearcats is a trip to the Roundhouse. Everybody's going to Wichita to watch the Bearcats play the Shockers. It'll be on CBS at 2 p.m. Given that it is a road game, Bergie Berg. Yeah. We, I, I don't know about you yet. You haven't, you haven't told me, but I will be at Taft's Bruporium in, uh, in St. Bernard taking in the game. Uh, should be an excellent watch party opportunity. I know the weather's supposed to be pretty crappy, but what better way to avoid crappy weather than to head to Taft's Bruporium and watch the game with us uh, here at Bearcat Journal. Uh, our friends at hopefully the Den will be stopping out. Some people from the Republic of Cincinnati tailgate. Uh, get get a good crew of Bearcat fans together. This is something that we did many times during football season. It was a huge success. And hopefully you will be able to stop out, join us, watch the game, uh, get a couple beers, maybe some pizza. I think they got wings now. Uh, great garlic knots. Uh, the garlic knots with beer cheese are fantastic, Berg. Um, but... If you're not doing anything, rearrange your schedule and uh, head out and watch the Bearcats take on the Shockers. 2 o'clock Saturday, CBS at Taft's Brewporium as it's another Bearcat Journal watch party. Justin. I'm aiming to be there. I'm aiming. You're aiming. Aiming to be there. Yeah. And and they you have beer. a little one. Yeah. And they, they well, that's not going to happen, but they... They have okay. beers, which I think Bearcat fans are going to need because all these games the rest of the way, you're going to need something to take the edge off. So they have pretty good beer there. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll forewarn everyone. This might be a Talking Berg off the ledge episode of the Bearcat Journal podcast. Um, he's, I'm not he's, to the ledge. I'm not. Come on. I, okay, I, not to I the would, ledge yet. Yeah. Your, your, your panic is near setting in. Panic it, hasn't completely set in yet. But you're I, you're nearing panic. You're approaching say, panic. I would say I'm fairly concerned, but I'm not to the point where I'm alarmed at UC's defense at this point in my in, in the season. But I, I am fairly concerned, and there's reason to be because they were in the teens and adjusted defense just what three weeks ago, and now they're 36th on KenPalm.com. So the last time they were this low was 2010. NIT. Now, of course, that year they were 120th in offense, and this year they're actually staying afloat because of their offense, which I don't think anyone would have predicted. Uh, I know somebody who would have predicted it. Oh, Mick, because he said they thought they had enough firepower. He said offense. From, he's, he brought it up today. I don't know if you've seen the press conference. Not yet. He said, on November 7th, I told you guys, offense is not going to be our problem. Defense is going to be our problem. He said, nobody wanted to believe me. Nobody wanted to listen to me, but here we are. Yeah, because 
the last time that you could see the adjusted O and the adjusted D almost right at the same number was never. And uh, you got forty, you got forty-one on offense and thirty-six on defense, and a lot of it has happened over the past three, four games actually, four games. Yeah. But strangely enough, and not to Mick, but the offense has been very, very consistent, and especially Jaron Cumberland and Keith Williams, and at least one of the bigs is putting up some stuff. And but I guess. I didn't I, I didn't expect it to be 36th when I took a look last night so I thought that he said you wanted to do a podcast and I figured all right we got we're going to have to just go through this because I know I broke down the three point aspect of it with the film but I feel like it goes deeper than that I mean what before I get into what I'm seeing what what what's on your mind with well, the defense I I I will say there wasn't as this has happened it's kind of been a perfect storm um they didn't they didn't play well at ECU that's clear they lost the game to a bad team um they didn't play well at ECU and then as you're getting ready for um Tulsa Tulsa everybody gets sick so that you didn't really have a full complement of being able to fix what was starting to go wrong. And then you play two days after that. And then you play three days after that. There really hasn't been any time for Mick to get in the gym with these guys and start fixing what has been breaking down. Okay. Because, Good point. I, I mean, at that point in time, especially when you're going Thursday, Saturday – You've got, and you're flying home from Tulsa after a, a night game. You're not getting home until two, three o'clock in the morning. You got to get up Friday. You got to get into the training room, try to get your legs back, get back into the gym, do a full scout for UConn in one day, play the UConn game. Then I believe, uh, uh, well, I, I think they rearranged it so that they didn't have to take it. You, basically, you have to take one off day a week. Um, I think with the schedule, they rearranged it. But then you get two days to pair, prepare for Brian Gregory in, in South Florida. There hasn't been a whole lot of time to really dig in and get the issues solved because you were just trying to get through the next game with a win. Um, now, you've got a game. You had a game Tuesday. Didn't have a game again. You won't have a game again until Saturday. And then you won't have a game again until the following Thursday. So you're giving yourself finally a little bit of time to start working on not just what you're getting ready for in the next opponent, but also this is what we need to fix on our end. Um, because I, whatever it is, and it's it's multiple things really, I mean, we yeah. talked about it a lot last pod, I don't, and it was aimed at that point in time at three-point defense, but really it's the problem overall. Um, they they haven't been great at moving their feet and stopping dribble penetration or stopping the ball from getting in the paint, and then when the ball does get in the paint, their rotations are terrible. And South Florida did it a little bit different with LaQuincy Rideau, who instead of dribbling to collapse and kick, he was dribbling to score. Um, I mean, he gave them absolute fits. 
and that was a similar symptom. It was just a team attacking it different. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. See, yeah, I exactly. I think that the point of attack has been an issue, like you said. I mean, there, there, there's just too many defenders in the wing guard area of the team that have trouble staying in front. Justin's the best at it. Jaron's okay. He's not a super athlete. I think if you just start going through the perimeter defenders, you could make you can point out some pretty major flaws. So, and and I think what what you're seeing, you're going to either see deep penetration, which then ends up they can have the kickout pass, or um, they're getting you know guys are reaching in. They're get, I think that's a whole other issue with the fouls, but just that just being able to get one step on the defender, then somebody else has to shade that way. Then you get the hockey assist thing where one guy goes the next guy has to step up and then you get it, basically what, what's happening is teams are, are in rhythm because they're able to make the passes to a guy who's ready to shoot and you look at what happened with UConn and UConn was starting to get the ball in the paint early in that game against UC and then they they snuffed that out and then UConn had no recourse they were just dribbling around the perimeter and throwing up shots so I guess like now that they have time to look at it, the coaching staff, you, you got to think like, okay, yeah, teams are hitting threes, but on the other hand, you know, they're, UC's fouling a lot. So, and that, when the defense breaks down guys, I think, like you said, it all starts with stopping that penetration because a lot of the threes are in transition, but, but another good percentage of those are from that. Like I said, just that guy getting a one step kick and then someone has to come guard between pick between two guys and one of the two is going to get a good look. Yeah. So somehow, and and you know, Mick has even said that that Jennifer's his best on ball. Uh, well, know. and and guess what? Jennifer's his best defender at the top of that defense, and, and it's five, and it's yeah. very easy to shoot over him. Right. So yes, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So if your best defender is five ten, maybe ish. Yeah. And you have, and then you know, Broom is not strong. He doesn't stay in front and then you can shoot over him. I mean, Quincy, look, Quincy Rideau versus him was, it was a total mismatch. And then, um, you know, you can go through each guy. You could say this guy's inexperienced. You could say Jaron's not a super athlete. He's not super long. He's smart. But when you put him on an Island against like a Jalen Adams, he's going to be at his mercy. So there's just, you don't, you're just really seeing like, Oh man, Jacob Evans, like he, he was so important, especially on the perimeter. And then the other thing, like we talked about on the last pod was, uh, or I don't know if we did or not, maybe it was off the air, but the, 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 la- the lack of the mistake eraser, which is something that UC's had for, since, you know, Rashad Bishop, Jaquan Barker, Kevin Johnson, then you had Clark and Evans last year, which is when you have two of them, that's when you're at really elite. So who is it now? It's, it could be Trayvon down the line, but he's not there yet. So if you're, you're, the, you're, you're just, there's, the, the point of attack is an issue, and then the, oh, this guy made a mistake, there's no one there to, to kind of clean it up for him. Right. And, so just and all that, let, yeah. Let's, let's dig a little bit on erasing mistakes, because I don't think people necessarily know exactly what we're talking about when we say that. Right. Um, when you talk about Gary Clark and, and Jacob Evans, and, and going back, Rashad Bishop, Jaquan Parker, you're talking about Justin Jackson – you're talking about guys that could guard two and three people at times, a lot of the times. And and last year, when you have two guys, when you have two guys that can guard basically half the court, then you become elite. Right now, there's not anybody 
that is in that role. There is there isn't anybody that they can rely on that can erase a mistake and in one step be back to where they were um and guarding their man and 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 not getting trapped in no man's land, not getting caught in help, not getting sucked in on on the strong side, uh much less the weak side. Um where the help is supposed to come from. But getting sucked in on the strong side and not being able to get back. And Jacob Evans was was fantastic at that. He could give you a step or two uh, of help in the lane and still recover and close out, you know, as the ball was kicked back to a shooter. Um, he could play that, you know, when the ball got to one guy. He could guard that guy, and if he kicked, there was a good chance he was getting to the next guy. Yeah. And right now, that is not – that person is not – evident on this roster yeah and you know what else is what what evans and clark did was and and, and kevin johnson was also was good at this yes. was they could crowd a three-point shooter and be able to be quick enough to cut off the drive if the guy tried to go by him right whereas now you're having guys that are having trouble doing either of those well like keith is a perfect example um one of the one of the strengths of keith williams is his athleticism but where that hinders him in this defense is that if you watch Keith defend, and he's 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 really working hard to correct this, but it's not an easy thing to correct because it's just how his body, his quick twitch muscles are wired. Like when you close out, you're supposed to close out with short, choppy steps. And that allows you to keep your balance and to be able to defend if they do pump fake and then they try to, to drive you're still in guarding position because your steps are short and choppy and your 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 base is on balance and you've got you know you can get your hand up you can get your hands out to to guard the drive you're in excellent defensive guarding position keith because of the way that his body is wired hops yeah and when he hops to a closeout and he doesn't have his feet choppy, and he doesn't have his base centered, he's leaning because he's hopping. And he'll lean, and he'll get the hand up, and he'll get the contest. But, you know, if it's a play on the wing, and he's got his right hand up, and he's hopping, that means his weight is going towards the right side of his body, and he's exposed to the middle. And that is something that that he has been working really hard on. Um, But that is also... Something that for him right now is, you know, 20 years of muscle memory. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could point to anybody. You could yeah, even say, I'm just like, giving oh, it like say, one like, example. Yeah. No, I know. I know you could even say like Trevor Moore has, has impressed everybody with his footwork and how he can, he can, he can move laterally and stuff. But as good as he can get at that, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be able to guard two guys on the same possession. Like, he's no. just not that kind of athlete. So you just, so what, so I guess what, what you're left with is, are you going to have to concede something and may, or maybe cheat at something and gives, or, or I guess allow something in, in, uh, instead of something else. So I guess what I'm saying is like, if you're, if your guys cannot really contain the ball on the perimeter and what's happening is you're ending up with rhythm threes and a lot of free throws because guys are reaching in and stuff like that when they get beat is maybe you're going to have to say, all right, we're going to have to play a step back when we close out and just play for the drive no matter what. And if they, if the guy is dribbling and he's in an ISO situation or whatever the case is and he pops a three, 
it's not going to be that high percentage of a shot. The highest percentage shots are the ones that get ripped around a couple passes or a kick out or maybe even on a break where a guy's, you know, in rhythm. Like, I would rather give up a bunch of, like, if you watch the UConn, you know, they had a lot of shots where they bricked the hell out of those, where yeah. they were just dribbling around and, and, and like, let's say Cumberland was on Vital and he was, it wasn't all over him, but he was just containing him. And then he was like, shit, I got to shoot because the, the shot clock's down. I've got a hand up. It's not a high percentage look. I mean, sometimes they'll make them, but they're not going to make them at the clip that they were. I'd rather give up those shots than end up giving up rhythm shots and ended up with a lot of fouls and things like that. Because I think that's Mick always talks about starting with layups and free throws. They're doing a phenomenal job on the layups, but not so much on the free throws. So now you're giving up threes and free throws. And then what happens is, even though you get 21 turnovers against South Florida, they still get 74 points. That's insane. Like, I never would have expected that to be the case. Um, and especially South Florida comes in, what are they, like 260th or something in offense? Like, that's just, yeah. that's where you start thinking, like, mm, this is, I don't know, something's fishy here. So, I guess, what is, I mean, thinking back over the last 12 years of covering Mick and what he's done with these defenses, I mean, he's made these sort of adjustments as the season goes along, but this time, it just seems like he doesn't quite have a whole lot to work with on the perimeter. No, I. the thing is, the, the more it's gone on, I think that lockdown defender is on the roster. I just think he's a oh. freshman point guard. Yeah, yeah. I, I see where you're going. I mean, I, I think Logan Johnson is has shown, and, and what we've seen is in offense-defense situations, Logan is being brought in for defense. How many times have you seen Mick do that with a freshman? Mm, can't think of one. Maybe so, Deshaun Mormon, like very sparingly. Yeah, until he fell out of favor. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, that's you know, that's just that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, to fix it. I think, and it, there's been people, you know, calling for him to go to man. Um, I don't think that's crazy per se. Uh, I do think if you look at the Tulsa game, they went man to man the last five minutes or so. And if you look at the South Florida game, they also went man to man the last five minutes or so. And when were they at their best in those games? That, those stretches. In the last five minutes or so. So, while not saying they need to scrap the zone and go to man, I do think maybe you go back over what happened in those last five minutes pretty intently. And you see, should we be using more of the man-to-man and mixing it up more, maybe. Yeah, mix it up more is because that zone. Again, you go back to the UConn game. They get, they had long droughts. UConn did, and it was because and it was when UC was in the zone. It was just they were taking away what they you know UConn telegraphed what they wanted to do and they took it away. But so it, it can be effective, but you just can't stay in it for so long when these, these teams are just bombing them in or, or getting into the paint on you. But yeah, like you said, they haven't had a lot of time for adjustments in the last uh, week and a half. So, but I guess, you know, all that said, you look at 
the Tulsa game, Tulsa has 22 turnovers. You look at the South Florida game, South Florida has 21 turnovers, and the Bearcats snuck by both those teams in those scenarios. So that's where you're – you kind of have that uh, little, ooh, that doesn't – I don't know if I like those numbers, and now you're going on the road. Because what happens if Wichita State has eight turnovers on Saturday and – yeah, I mean they're you know, so they're definitely they, yeah. they're definitely putting themselves in a position where they're relying very heavily on forcing turnovers. Right. That's not great. Yeah, especially on the road. Teams aren't yeah. going to turn the I mean Tulsa, I don't know. I, I mean that was you know, they obviously they did a lot better job in last night's game taking care of the ball against UConn. They scored a ton of points on them. And something else happened in that game that was somewhat interesting. what is going on this week with the with these officials um it's a a couple fold uh one there was a directive sent out last week about coaching decorum and that it was going to now be a point of emphasis to, quote-unquote, get coaches under control. Um, and I think you're seeing that. The, the first example of that is in the American Conference. Unfortunately, it is very clear on both tapes that none of the coaches were out of control. And all three were ejected. So, one, it's a terrible look. Like, I get it's a point of emphasis. But you cannot eject guys for doing very, very little. Like, that has to be a last resort. That has to be, you know, we're at our wit's end with this guy. And that wasn't the case in either of the three situations. Two, remember the name Curtis Shaw? Yeah, I've heard that name a time or two. Kind of a standoffish official for a long time. Teed up a lot of people. Kind of standoffish, kind of grumpy, angry all the time. He's the guy in charge of officials in the American Athletic Conference. Oh, I did not know that. And I wonder how much, when they work those games, are they doing so with the understanding that We're working for Curtis Shaw today. And he kind of likes that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Likes that power. He kind of likes, he kind of likes the ref show. The reason I say his name is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most people listening to this podcast that if you listen to this podcast, you're very familiar with college basketball. You know, the name Curtis Shaw and when everyone knows your name is an official, it's not a good thing. Carl Hess. Everybody knows Carl Hess. I can only think of one guy that knowing his name was a good thing. And I can't, his name is escaping me right now, but he was he did a lot of Big East games. He was also an NFL uh, referee. Um, damn it. Yeah, I don't have that one for you. Talk for a minute. Let me look it up. Okay. What do you think what, of all the, this? This 
what, yeah, what we've seen the, the I past just, two days. Well, I just, I just sitting at the game on uh, Tuesday night and watching Mick. Gene Steratore, bang. Okay. He was awesome. Well, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that really, I just, I've seen him do so much worse than that. So much worse than that. Yeah. And I mean, it, by, by miles and miles worse. And he even said he, he's tried to get technicals before and they wouldn't give them to him. So it's just, it's just a, a strange situation to pick to, I get giving him the technical, but then what, I don't understand why giving him the second one, what, what does that do? I mean, if I, I, I get that they have a directive, but is, was the directive to just toss anybody for slightly abhorrent behavior? I don't know. He, he, he said that he, he sucked his hands up. Remember the one he got where he, uh, he took his glasses off. I think that was, yeah, that's the one I compared this to. Okay. Yeah. Like two, three years ago when he, when his cataract, or his LASIK surgery was failing, and he had to wear the glasses because the lights were too bright at home games. Right. And he took his glasses off and got teed. This one, he raised his arms and said what and got teed. Yeah, and uh, was it was it was it Kel- Kelvin Sampson had one against Temple where he took his tie off and they gave him a technical. Yeah, he, he took his tie, his tie off and threw it at the game. bench. Right. He's, yeah, he's done that like every game ever. So the things that they're pointing to is like I don't know I. I Whatever. I mean, obviously, now it's become a thing because you got national writers talking about it and writing about it and tweeting about it. And Well, here's the problem. They've made themselves look like a joke. They've made a mockery of officiating in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah. Everybody yeah. is clowning them. Not a good look. And the response, I guarantee it, the response is going to be, fines for Mick Cronin and Danny Hurley for speaking out against it, saying that the league office needs to do something. Instead of the response being, you guys are right, and these officials were out of line, and we've taken this action, whatever this action may be. We've taken them off the schedule for a week, or we, you know, whatever the case may be. And you're going to make yourself a joke again if you do that. So, who, was the, who was the one that gave Mick the first technical? Who, which ref was that? Do you know? Um, just like, like the regular guy with just kind of regular hair and everything. I, I feel like we, we've seen him in a lot of games. and he's Lee Cassell. Okay, yeah. And then Mark Schnurr is the guy that came in second. The tough guy. Yeah. The tough guy. And, and, <laughs> and funny, the crazy thing is that's what happened in both games. It was not the official that issued the original technicals. It was a secondary official running from midcourt to fire off the second technical, which I absolutely hate. Like, Mm. this isn't your argument. The other guy can handle himself. You don't have to come (laughs) in and act like, you know, I'm super cop. I'm here to clean up this mess. Like, knock it off. That's ridiculous. Yeah, usually... You see, guys. At least the ref would go over and talk to the coach, even just just for for ten or fifteen seconds, just to explain why he called the technical, and then let the coach say his piece. I mean, that's that's just common courtesy. That that's usually what what officials will do. And then the guys just the guys just just wanders over there. and He's like, "Yeah, oh, whistle blow, see ya." Points yeah. to the locker room. So I just it was it was bizarre. It was just something I did not expect to see. 
So then last night, I, I couldn't even tell what was going on. I was watching the game. I'm like, wait a minute, did they? They give them, okay, double technicals, I get it. But then they were like, wait, they're gone? What? So Hurley goes to shake Frank Hayes' hand. And Frank Hayes is like, I don't want to shake your hand. Well, not, no, not even that. Pat Adams is holding Hurley back like he's trying to go fight. And Hurley's looking at him. Pat Adams comes up to about Danny Hurley's nipples. And he's holding him back. And Hurley's got his hand out to shake hands. He's looking at his hand. He's looking at Pat Adams like, what the hell are you doing? I'm just going to shake his hand and go about my business. Like, let's get back to the game. I just want to say we're all good here. And they're literally acting like Hurley is charging over there, ready to rip off his tie and and exchange blows. What a joke. This, this what a is joke. like, you know what it, it reminds me of when they tell police forces like, hey, you know, we need you to clean up this drug thing. And so, you know, any any excuse you get, lock these people up type of thing. And yeah. Oh, I look. He looked at me wrong. I'm going to charge him with this or that. Like that's kind of what it feels like. Like these things are not things that should ever. A lot of the stuff shouldn't even get one technical. It's like ridiculous. What Mick, did, what Mick did at the beginning of that was like, dude, that's. I mean, come on, you can't just raise your hands like what. So, either way, I, interesting to see what's going to happen the rest of the, the week and the weekend with some of these games and coaches and stuff. So. If they if they if they had a goal of uh, of making a stink and and making their presence felt, they did it. Oh, they most certainly have their presence felt. Most certainly. Um. All right, this weekend. So, or so we got. Well, so good. The which so yeah so Wichita State gets a, their first conference win last night, and Central Florida gets their first loss. At the Roundhouse, and that's where Cincinnati will be playing on CBS on Tuesday, right? So that that's a little national coverage, and I was I was pretty impressed with Wichita State in the fact that they uh, they were pretty resilient and they were they were attacking Taco Fall, which oh, not const- a lot of teams do. Yeah, yeah, they were going at him, and then I think uh, you know the obvious story would be Marcus McDuffie was just smooth as 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 you he was. Every shot he took, it looked like he knew it was going to go in before he even let it go. It was it, no rim even close to any of them. He, he does not lack for confidence. Yeah, he ended up with twenty three, and um, and then uh, they 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 just were hitting a lot of jumpers in that game. They got a couple things at the basket, but they had their big guy, the seven foot dude, mid guard, come in and make three jumpers. Who hasn't really played much this year? No. And um, Samaje Haynes Jones didn't make a three, but he was hitting all kinds of mid range and floaters and. So they, they, you know, uh, Wichita State goes 23 of 37 from two, which you look at Central Florida's two-point defense the last few years. I mean, they ain't giving up 62%. Yeah, they're, they're, giving also, up 20... they're also in a situation like Cincinnati, though. Their, their defense is not as high-end as it's been in years past. It's true. It's their true. offense is better. Yeah. It just Yeah, just like Cincinnati almost. But, but they – Either way, if you're going to score 75 on Central Florida, then you're going to make some jumpers. And that's what they did, and they just made them throughout the game. And But if you look at the past two games that Wichita State had played, they had Temple beat. I mean, they're up eight with, what, three minutes to go, and it goes to overtime, and they blow that. <coughs> they were and up then, big on Houston. Yeah, they were, up in, they were in the second half, almost midway through, they had a lead on Houston, and then Houston went on like a 14-0 run. But 
so they they just hadn't been able to 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 play the whole forty, um, and they were able to do it last night. So, I, you know, you look at like okay, well, if they would have lost, then they would still they would be zero and four, and they'd be even more desperate against Cincinnati. You could look at that angle, or you could say. Um, now they're confident and they know that this stuff works that Greg Marshall's been saying, so they're going to come in confident on Saturday. But I don't know that they're going to shoot as well as they did on jump shots and stuff like that against UC. But what concerns me is they only had 11 turnovers against Central Florida, who pressures the hell out of the ball. And then, um, you know, they're a good rebounding team. I mean, they out-rebounded, they out-rebounded Central Florida. Actually, let's see, uh, 35 to... Whoa, 35 to 22. That's massive. Wow. Especially with Taco Fall yeah, standing because Central, in the middle. Right. Central Florida only gets six offensive rebounds the whole game. And, hey, look, what's UC had a problem with the last couple of games? Getting offensive rebounds. They couldn't get them against uh, Connecticut. And um, they had a lot of trouble against South Florida as well. So when you're looking at the matchup of the two teams, I mean, that's – that's where I would start, especially where the, you know UC's coaches, I'm sure, are really focusing in on that rebounding deal. But yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get a look at like what if a team takes care of the ball and and keeps UC off the offensive glass? Like how do they how do they win that game? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's been the eternal question with with Bearcat basketball for many years. <laughs> They're gonna have to really shoot the ball well, and they have they've been shooting well. Yeah, still not on the road though. Not on the road, yeah. I mean, you know, Jennifer, who's almost fifty percent at home, he's twenty two percent on the road, and and Cumberland's numbers are down on the road, of course, and and just overall they are. So, you know, but you know who doesn't care where the game is played? Keith Williams doesn't seem to care. That is, that's been my my biggest um, plus has been his consistency and watch we'll say that and he'll get two points yeah uh, foul out yeah. Foul, yeah but he has been pretty consistently right in that 10 11 12 14 point range now we we haven't seen um that jump where he's at you know has a, a breakout game with 25 26 or whatever um but we are seeing that from jaron so then having Keith be that guy, that second guy that's consistently at 12, 13, 14 points a game has been big. He's been knocking down some threes. Um, just his overall level of play has been a, a, a big, big positive for this season because we thought that was going to be Kane Broom. And instead, when Kane has struggled, it, it has consistently been Keith and Kane is kind of in that role that we thought Keith was going to be in. Right. Where and, it would be and, up and down and up and down and all over the place. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's 12, 13 points a night. Yeah, and you look at Keith, he's five for his last nine from three over the last three games. I mean, think about how close those games were. Right. So, I mean, you could just look at that and be like, man, if, you know, if he didn't develop that shot, and, and those were some huge shots that he had you know, over the course of those games, but – yeah, now we come to the the old. What do you do at the point guard position with Kane and Justin? It's it's. I don't. You know, I wrote that whole piece and I went into it thinking kind of that the answer was just to let Kane play twenty five thirty minutes. You just have to because you have to take the gamble. But 
I don't know. It, I don't think there's a clear answer. I just, I mean, I, what, what did you think when you, when you thought about that? I think you keep doing what you're doing. I mean, Justin's at like 25 minutes a game. Kane's at 21 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that really needs to be changed much. Um, unless it's a situation where you put Kane in and in the first half he rips off, you know, eight points in a four minute segment. And then, you know, maybe you start riding the hot hand. Um, you're starting to see his three point shot come around a little bit, which I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. Oh, 19 misses in a row. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it seems like the way that that coach will play it is is if UC has the lead, Jennifer, you know, just keep everything under control. If UC is behind Kane, can you come in and get us some buckets? It seems to be that's at least in the second half, because if you go back to the Mississippi State game, down the stretch when you see was hanging and hanging and hanging and all of a sudden they were like quickly down nine, you know, that's when you would think you would say, well, all right, Kane, like just go in and just let it, let it fly. And he didn't really do that. He gave him a little bit of time, but then he stuck with mostly Keith and Jaron with those ISOs. And then he had Justin in a lot. So, and kind of like if Kane's in, it seems like they just, he's the, he's the, the usage rate guy with, when he's on the floor a lot of the time, like he's making a lot of the decisions. He really hasn't played off the ball a ton. And even when Jaron's on the floor, when he and Jaron are both on the floor, it feels like he can do, a, he has more room to operate just because the defense has to pay attention to Jaron. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it really, there's really no easy answer. I think it's just, Hey, you know, coach Cronin gets however much money he gets to coach and he has to just make the right, he has to make the decision and he's, got to go by the feel and how the game's going. It's just sometimes you wonder, it's, it's hard to know, like, does he pull the, does he pull the, the, um, the cord too quickly sometimes with Kane in in the road games. But again, like we talked about at the beginning of this, you know, Kane's defense just is, it's just a, it's just a liability. It's, it's hard. I mean, and he doesn't get rebounds either. So you're on the road. You got to bring something to the table in that regard. And if you're not necessarily lighting it up on offense, just, just, it's just, you're not going to be a positive. So it's tough because you also have to feel like, is it fair to give Kane that, like you said, eight points in four minutes? Like is, is four minutes enough time? Like what if he doesn't get that eight the other night against Tulsa, he ends up with 32 minutes and he doesn't get going until like minute, you know, whatever it was, 24 or five. So it's just a, I don't know. You can go in circles a million ways. And I know there's people on the message board who probably favor one way or the other, but you know, Jennifer is just playing so well overall that eventually some shots have to fall on the road for him. And he's had some bad luck. A few of them have popped out, but he's also just not a guy that's going to be able to like beat his man and pull up. And his like his, his, his kind of like, you know, in between game, he doesn't really have that. He's either getting fouled or he's got his three. Sometimes he has like a 17 footer, but it's just, who knows? You just, you just wonder sometimes in these road games, are they going to get enough points against a team that's not turning the ball over? That's that's just yeah. where I am with everything. So No, I mean, it, it, Burke, we're talking about a UC defense that is struggling defensively, fouling a lot, and they aren't good rebounding on either end of the floor. It's bizarro world. 
Yeah. And they're, they're <laughs> averaging like 80 points a game in conference. Nuts. And giving up in the 70s. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you think, how hard is it to get 70 against Cincinnati the last few years? Now, I think that, here's here's one other question for you, and I don't know if you've even thought about this, but the fouling, is is it is it inexperienced and undisciplined? I know that's probably part of it, but is it is it also that, man, they're calling everything now, and maybe some of the stuff that they they have done in the past, just they're getting called for it. I don't I, know. It, I, I have a great answer. Okay. I think it is the result of we are seeing that it is really, really hard to play mixed defense without fouling. Mm. I think we took that for granted. Like, yeah. and, and, and because, you know, you had Gary and Jake for three years and Troy was really good at it. Uh, Kevin was really good at it. Octavius um, Ellis was pretty good. Yeah. You, you know, we've had a run of three, four, five years where they made that part of it look pretty easy to play that type of intense pressure, swarming kind of amoeba zone, you know, don't know what the hell you're looking at type defense and doing so without fouling hardly at all is really really hard Mm -hmm. and they made it look very very easy and I think we just got used to the fact that well they just don't foul and it you know they fouled as if they were just sitting back in a 2-3 zone and not pressuring anything and as we know that is not the case at all and yeah this team is still not very good at it and yeah, I, I think we're yeah. just getting an appreciation now for how hard that is to do what they had been doing the past four or five years and doing it without fouling. And if some might not like that answer and might think it's a cop out, but no. that, that's what I see is, is those teams, the past three or four or five teams were just incredibly good at playing this style of defense and keeping their hands off of you and, and moving their feet well. And keeping their, you know, playing straight up and down. Um, Not fouling at the rim. Not fouling on a drive. We're seeing a lot more reach-in fouls this year. They never got reach-in fouls before. Because they would just go in, snatch the ball, and before you, you know, we talked about that that style that they employ um, on drivers of just reaching in and taking the ball away. Yeah. They haven't been especially over the past four games, they haven't been good at it at all. They've been no. getting getting dinged for the foul on that pretty regularly. And I it's because they're fouling. And in years yeah. past, that hasn't been the case. They've been able to just quick hands, reach in, take the ball away, and next thing you know, it's going the other way. Um, so I, I just think that there was a lack of appreciation, a lack of understanding of how good – those defenses were in their ability to run this system and, and not put teams on the foul line. Cause I think that is a huge part of why teams aren't in the fifties and lower sixties and are now in the seventies instead of going to the line 10 to 12 times a game, 
they're going to the line 18 times a game, 19 times a game. Yeah, I can't believe how many times you look up and the other team's in the bonus like with, fairly early in the half. 11 minutes yeah, left in the half. Yeah, you're used to to you see getting through halves without the other team even getting to the bonus. So yeah, they I mean they have they just really haven't had this issue. Man, I mean they they haven't mixed let's see 08 was probably the last time they were this bad. Um well, I don't know, 2014 they were the same percentage on the free throw rate. They just weren't they were ranked 81st. This year it's 234. It was still 36% of the time. So they've they've had issues before. Um, the three-point defense, they've also had problems at times. They're but that's, a result, of, that's yeah. a result of no twos. Yeah. More well, than I mean, any. The, the, yeah, the two-point and the block percentage is right in line with everything else. It was just, hey, man, the, like you said, the, the mistake erasers aren't there. The the discipline is not there. And the moving the feet is just, you know, as a whole isn't as good as it's been. So, so yeah, so now what do you do? We'll see on Saturday, do they – does Mick play more man? Does he, does he, you know, adjust how they guard the ball on the perimeter? Because you know he's not one to just sit back. I mean, he, no. he he wants to force the issue. Now they did a few years ago. I think it was Gary's first year where they were playing a lot of just kind of basicish two three, where the bigs were just hanging down low and Troy was up top with whoever whoever else. Uh, they didn't put a whole lot of pressure on people at that point, but you know this team. With with Jennifer and Broom and people like that, you would think he's going to want to put some pressure. So, you know, either way, you got to find a way to, to to cut back on the fouls and the free throws, and then the drives. So, like you said, they've got what today and tomorrow to work on that, and then put the game plan in tomorrow and go down to the roundhouse and see what happens. Yeah, and you know, I think you you've got a stretch here over the next two weeks where there's going to be a lot of practice time. And that's going to tell us the tale. We'll see, uh, you know, how much better they can get defensively with a little bit more time to work on it, a little bit more attention to detail on that end. Um, If we're sitting here in two or three weeks and the defense is still trending the wrong way, then I'll allow panic mode from Justin. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm definitely not panicking. I just, it's, it's, it's 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 fairly concerning just because it's not just this isn't stuff you're used to seeing. Yeah, I mean that, that's like I just hit on. Like, there's a lot of things we're not used to seeing. This is <laughs> this is your most and it, it what a month ago we were talking about this is the most Mick Cronin team ever. Yeah, and a, a month later, this is the most non Mick Cronin team ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the hey, ebb and flow of a season. No doubt, no doubt. Well, that's what we said at the beginning of the year. There's going to be weeks where you're thinking they're really good, then other weeks you're like, I don't know. I mean, trying to get to the NCAA tournament, there's just still so many things they have to do. They're, I mean, they're they're in pretty good shape now. They're just not in great shape, but they're they just they're going to have to prove more stuff. And I think we pretty much figured that that this last and this was what we pointed to was this last 13 games starting with the Wichita State game so we just didn't I don't think anybody really anticipated that the first five were going to be like you know you got to drink like half a bottle of of, uh, Jim Beam to get through them yeah they've they've (laughs) they've been a lot closer than we anticipated (laughs) Uh, I know my grandma my grandma Ruthie she's like I don't know if I can take any more of this I was like well you better you're going to have to because yeah, it's coming. every there, game is going to be like this. There's 13 more of them, plus the conference tournament and, and hopefully the NCAA tournament. But 
yeah, the, the, <laughs> the conference, though, I will say there's, what, 10 teams right now in the top 120? Yeah. It's it's it snuck up on me, and I just I I was expecting it to be, you know, three four teams at the top that were pretty good, and then, I, but I guess you you also I think you said that you thought that there was the last few years it was like one or two or maybe three teams that were at the very top, and everyone else was really far back, and that it was going to be closer this year, and it's 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 coming true. I mean, you you know even you even like a team like Memphis that was bad in the non conference, they're going to be a tough out. SMU is always tough. It just Every team, and then now that you got South Florida higher than we thought on the, in the pecking order, I mean, they, they really should have at least one of those two wins the last two games they played yeah, on the road. A, it's a very good thing that, that the Bearcats aren't going to yeah. the Sundome this year. I was just going to say, yeah, like, I mean, good luck. I think Houston actually has to go there um, this weekend, so that'll be a fun one to watch. I think I think it's Saturday, Houston at, at South Florida, I believe. Good luck with that, Kelvin Sampson. Better keep your tie on on that one. So, so Cumberland gets the thousand points right the other night. Yeah. Have you have you looked at the math at all to see the possibility of getting to two thousand for him? Because it, to me, you know, figuring thirteen more games this year in the regular season, you say two in the conference tournament, and then so you could say one sixteen, maybe two seventeen next year. You got another thirty five. So you're like you could say maybe around fifty two. Um, 52 games or so. So if, if he averages 19.2 over the next 52 games, he can get to 2,000. Yeah. Seems seems like he should be able to do that. I mean, it's at, it's, this, at this rate, the way they're using him. The way they're using him, definitely. It's a lot to ask. Um, I think it's going to be one of those where he probably gets pretty damn close but might fall just a little bit short. Um the consistency of, of averaging 20 a game for 52 games. <laughs> well, what's he averaging now this year? Uh, what? Seven, 16, 17, something like yeah, that. And he's had, yeah, he had the three point game. That didn't help. Um, I think there was another game where they had a huge lead and he didn't play a whole lot. So uh, that's not yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah. Not the rest of this year. That's for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think he, I think there, I, I mean, well, I think he could, I think there's a. I think there's probably um, if, if you were making your bet in Vegas, it'd probably be like a two to one odds or something. Like it, I think it's pr- pretty pretty decent chance. I would say the one the one thing that makes me think that it is possible is how much he's been getting to the line, how much yep. he is learning how to use his body to draw contact, um, using his body against what you know teams are doing to try to defend him. Um, it will be interesting to see if there gets to be a little bit of fatigue from officials on calling fouls and sending him to the line. Yeah. He- but at this point, that was the next step for me outside of, you know, 50%, 40, whatever percent from three that he's shooting. Yeah. Um, but he's, yeah. He's doing what SK did. I mean, that's why SK always got 20. Because he got yeah. eight free throws, and he's so he only had to make it. two threes and a couple other buckets. He's shooting it at a much higher clip than SK did. Yeah, you know, SK developed into a decent shooter, but he was still pretty regularly in that thirty-seven range or thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent range. Yeah, um, Jaron, especially so far this year, uh, and with another year of improvement. Now, some of that is just cyclical. 
uh, and he'll probably have a stretch, you know, where he goes a little bit, regresses to the mean a little bit. Um, but as it stands, he's he's doing the things he needs to do to average in that range of 18, 19, 20 points a game, shoot well from three, get to the free throw line a bunch of times. I mean, it feels like, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It feels like 14, 15 free throws a game over the past couple weeks. Yeah, he's – and if these guys are going to play him up tight, he's just going to – He's and he he'll, if not, he'll just bully ball him from that elbow down. Yeah, I love that set. Yeah. They They're just, using it a lot. The, they've been running the SHI out of that set. They just – if you're going to put a 6-2 guy on him or whatever the case is, I mean, he's just going to – He's just going to use his his heft and do what he wants. Yeah, he's, yeah. And he can, you know, he's he's seeing the floor really well. He's kicking it to shooters um, when there's a need. Uh, he, he's been impressive. I mean, in that yeah. in that USF game, he did it in every way possible. Yeah, he 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 had he was 14 for 16 from the line in that game. He was 11 for 12 against UConn. So they were really milking that. He didn't he didn't really shoot the ball that well from three even over that three game stretch he was what five for 19 from three in the last three games yeah so he's cooling off and he was two for six before that so what seven for 25 that's 28 percent in the last four yeah and he but was he's but like he's 49 percent yeah. before that so there was yeah. going to be some cooling off that was going to happen right but he's yeah i mean he's he's doing everything he's getting he had the seven assists against uconn um his turnovers are okay i mean for his usage rate they're not crazy he's had some fours and one five, I saw a couple fives, but I mean, for the most part, you're going to, you know, you're going to expect that. Um, but yeah, yeah because I mean, he's, he's going to get a charge or two. Yeah. He also had four steals against South Florida too, by the way. And he also draws charges. So he really, and, and I don't know, he hasn't gotten a ton of charges. He really, no, not since, a ton. Yeah. Since that he's had, he had the four fouls against Tulsa, but he hasn't gotten to four in any other game since he fouled out against UNLV. So he's, He's taking care of the the foul trouble. I think he had the was what was the game where he was in the first half? He had trouble, but um, you know he's for the most part he's managing that and he's doing what he should do as an alpha. And he's they, being the big dog, that's yeah, for sure. And they, yeah, they're riding that horse because these last three games, if he doesn't score twenty two last game and thirty four against South Florida, I mean they needed every bit of those. And then the Tulsa game in overtime, he was dominant. So he's doing what he needs to do. Yep. You got anything else for today? Nope. That's all I got. I, I, I'm going to see if I can sneak a four-minute nap after this before the, the baby and the wife wake up. <laughs> all right. Before before we get out of here, though, once again, would like to remind you to check out Trace Pountas Premium Coffee. I my 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 stepbrother Berg today hit me up. He said, "What's the the promo code?" And if you remember the story from last week. Uh, they took my weekly shipment, my wife and my stepmom, they took my weekly, my twice weekly or biweekly shipment of coffee and gave it to him as a birthday present. And he hit me up today. He said, what's the promo code? I'm getting a subscription. Nice. There you go. Trace Pontus said that it is absolutely phenomenal and I have to have it in my life regularly. So (laughs) be like my stepbrother. And get yourself some Trace Pountas coffee. It's fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag has the ship roast date clearly printed on it. So you know that your coffee is fresh. 
You can go to the website, www.tracepontas.com slash coffee, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. And then when you get to checkout, this this is the important part. When you get to checkout, you enter Bearcats, and that gets you 20% off. Every bag of coffee in your subscription with that code. Enter it at checkout. Free shipping, 20% off. The best coffee money can buy. TracePountas.com slash coffee. Enter Bearcats at checkout. And you can be like my family, who I've been chronicling for weeks, the fight that they have over my shipment of Trace Pountas coffee. They're just lucky I don't drink coffee. So if I drink coffee, then none of them would get anything. Yeah, and you wouldn't be you wouldn't be spreading the brand around. I wouldn't be spreading the brand around. The brand has been spread. A subscription has been sold in the Brendel household, and uh, maybe that's maybe that's what I'll do is start gifting it to other family members and uh, use that to get them to buy subscriptions. Although I think that would probably cause problems with my mother in law and my stepmom. Mm, yeah, you definitely don't want to do that. I can't take away their fix. Can't take away their fix of Trace Pountas coffee. And uh, also, please check out 513shirts.com. Uh, we got on a roll there, so I, I kind of had to, I kind of forgot. I got the first one in for the watch party. But check out our guys at 513shirts.com. Go to Partners, drop down, you will see Bearcat Journal. Get yourself a Bearcat Journal hoodie, the Bearcat Journal winter hat. We got the trucker hat, Justin Berg's favorite, the trucker hat. We've got the new era stretch fit hat. Uh, we've got the Red Helms merchandise. We've got stickers. A lot of good stuff, 513shirts.com, proud partner of BearcatJournal.com. Go there, get yourself some gear, and uh, you will be very, very happy uh, with the quality of the product that you get from the fine guys at 513shirts.com. Huge UC fans, so they deserve your money. You want to support other Bearcats, right? That's what we're here for. Bearcats supporting Bearcats. 513shirts, those guys uh, have you covered and big, big Bearcat fans. All right, Berg, that's going to wrap it up. I have nothing else. You have nothing else? Nope. See you Saturday as long as everything goes as I think it can. See you Saturday. Taft's Brewporium, BCJ Watch Party, the first one this year for basketball. Make it successful, and I'm sure there will be a couple more as we get down the stretch run of the season. A lot of big road games. Every road game, a big road game. Every home game. A big home game, the 13-game stretch that we talked about against the better teams in this conference starts on Saturday, so we will see you there. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.